Thanks, guys. Uh, welcome today. My name is uh, Todd. I have the privilege of uh, leading this great church as we uh, seek to tell the world of the treasure we found in that last line of that song. And that is a pleasure and a privilege that we get to have to tell the world about the treasure of Jesus Christ. So uh, we are so glad you've come today. And if you are here for the first time, I hope you've received a visitor's pack. If you have, please grab that little card out of that and just fill in some details. We'd love to say thank you so much for coming to be a part of us today at Exchange. So if you've got that pack, grab that card out, fill it out and drop it in the box down the back there towards the end of the service. And that would be terrific. A couple of things I want to do is last... A couple of weeks ago, we had the Open Doors um, International Day of Prayer, and that was one of the things I meant to say last week that escaped my mind. Even when I counted to one, two, three, it didn't come back. But it came back through the week. Um, you'll see on the missions table down there, there's like a uh, International Day of Prayer card. You can grab one of those. There's about 30 or 40 of those there, so feel free to grab one off that table. Second thing I want to do is give a big shout-out today as well for Paul Newcomb. Paul's not here, but Paul was sitting there. He's probably out with the kids there now at this stage. Paul organised a bunch of us to go and help yesterday to do a bit of a house clean-up um, around at Brenda's house. So I want to say a big thank you for Paul and all those guys who turned up as well to uh, help uh, do some work around the back of the house and uh, spend some time together doing it. So thank you very much for all those guys who turned up. It was a blessing to be there and to uh, do good things. And Eva as well. Eva turned up. She was the, um, I was going to say the knight in shining armor, but she, she brought the, uh, the scones with jam and cream. So that sort of makes it all that bit worthwhile, you know. She, they'd come down and do that. So thanks, Eve, Eva, for doing that as well. Thanks for that reminder too, Laurel. Thank you. Okay, we are still um, working through Second uh, Corinthians. And uh, Elliot, I'm going to get you to throw some images up there for me, mate. Let me just get back to the start here. Righto. What do you think when you see these guys, these images? You can go through the next one too, mate. Just sort of keep flicking through them for me. What do you think when you see these, uh, these people? Simplistic? Peaceful? Maybe strange? Special? Unique? Or maybe you might feel sorry for them. I don't know what thoughts might be going through your mind. Uh, maybe one word that possibly comes to mind, you think, oh, these, these are holy men. Possibly that's a thought. Is that what holiness is? That's maybe a word that conjures up in your mind as you think about some of those images. We're going to talk about holiness today, not in the sense of um, what those guys are doing, and good luck to them there. Uh, but we're going to talk about holiness today from 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 6. So if you've got your Bibles... Go there with me, and uh, we will read from verse 14, and we're going to read through to chapter 7, verse 1. Starting at verse 14. Uh, Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers, for what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial? Or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of idols, uh, has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Therefore, Go out from their midst and be separate from them, says the Lord, and touch no unclean thing. Then I will welcome you and I will be a father to you and you shall be to me sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. 
Since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. God, we thank you and we praise you today that we can uh, come and gather together this morning and and open up again this uh, word, Lord, that is uh, a true word, a living word, and a word today that uh, comforts us, encourages us, instructs us, but also challenges us as well. But it's all for a good purpose, and that purpose is to be remade into the image and the glory of Christ, which is an image of holiness. So, Lord, I pray today as we do this, Holy Spirit, come. And breathe upon this word in our hearts so that we would see that and that we would be transformed into that likeness. And we ask it now in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. Okay, um, so we asked that question there. Uh, this question, what comes to mind when we think of holiness? Um, what thoughts does that word sort of bring to your mind as we think of the word Holiness. Because this is precisely where Paul is going to go today in this passage here in uh, chapter 6 of the second book of Corinthians. Paul is calling the Corinthians to holiness in the fear of God. Holiness is a beautiful thing to witness, but a very difficult thing to practice in our lives. Um, Holiness or holy living, I think, also is a major problem across a broad sweep of the Western church today as well. And the problem is this, is that the church doesn't see holiness as something to be desired across large parts of the Western church, where there should be clear lines of distinction between the life of the church and the life of the world. Something different should be there. Sometimes those lines are very blurry or there's nothing to be seen at all as far as distinction is concerned. Where there should be a difference in our living practices between the church and the world, it's just not there. You can't see those clear lines of distinction. Uh, Some Christians that I know of uh, sometimes will share in the same gossiping, backbiting and bitterness just like the world does. I've witnessed conversations between believers uh, that are pouring out sort of jealousy and criticisms on other people that is really untrue at that time. And amazingly, I'll hear those same conversations amongst the local football club that I'm involved with and thinking there's no difference. Whether they're believers or whether they're part of this local football club, I can't see a difference here. They're actually indulging in the same type of conduct and practice. Different people, but the same conversation. The church, in some respects, or perhaps many respects, has lost its ideal of holy living that honours a holy God. So today, as we think about this passage, we want to explore some of these things here as we think about where Paul is going with this idea of holiness. What is holiness? What is its practice? And what's our motivation or driving factor here to live holy lives. And then we'll finish with some application and some fruits of holy living as well as we think through that today. What is holiness? Sometimes right here I think we can go wrong with understanding holiness. We don't fully get what it is. We don't really grasp truly what it is. Sometimes we get the impression that holiness will uh, will mean being uninteresting or boring. Or holiness will mean I'm in a, a subdued frame of mind. Maybe people think holiness is joyless. Others might think it's keeping our emotions in check so I don't get carried away with things. Just putting a restraint or a break on myself. Sometimes we think holiness is having this negative outlook on life. That's what we think it possibly could be. That all we can do is only see the evil and bad in this holiness perspective and never really appreciate the good. 
Some people may think holiness is like that. We also may think that holiness is like keeping a whole list of rules to spoil our lives from having any so-called fun. It's like all this rule-keeping I've got to be to be this holy person. It's, and the fun's all gone out of life. Holiness for others can seem it's, it sees like it's stuffy or stifling. Sort of feels a bit claustrophobic maybe to be in this holiness frame of mind. Uh, the word holiness itself means moral purity or righteousness. Moral purity or righteousness. Another way of saying that is to have our actions or our conduct in life that is right and not wrong. Living in a right way, not a wrong way. That we're living our lives in a pure way and a right way. We may say that person over there is a very, very morally upright person. And when we say something like that, we're saying this person lives in a very uh, life of rightness and purity when we say a moral, upright way. Uh, Holiness is loving and clinging to what is pure and right and lovely in its positive form. It's actually clinging to that. It's loving that. It's wanting that. It's desiring that. What is pure and lovely and right, we want to cling to that in holiness or moral purity. And in its negative form, holiness is turning away from what is evil or corrupt or degrading. There's a positive clinging to something and then there's a negative turning away from something when we think about holiness. And that's so right. Holiness is something beautiful too when we see it in action, see it being lived out. Uh, When you have a child that's doing the right thing in a morally pure way, on those few rare occasions in life, when you have that, you're drawn to that child and you want to wrap your arms around that child and you love them. It's like a beautiful thing when you see them living in a moral, uh, innocent way as they do in those early years of life and later years of life as well. But when that child is nasty and disrespectful and morally doing the wrong things, we're not really drawn to that at that particular stage. We're actually sort of repulsed or repelled or pushed back by that. Moral uprightness or holiness is a beautiful, beautiful thing. Now, there's nothing also when we define the word holiness there in this moral conduct that is right. There's nothing in that definition to say that it's joyless. That's a real falsity when it comes to the idea of holiness, thinking all joy has gone out of my life if I'm going to pursue holy living. Not at all. In fact, if you want the clearest definition of all possible holiness, it is God. The Bible tells us uh, categorically that he is holy. But at the same time, God is the most joyful being in the universe. Morally perfect, morally beautiful, but also a fountain of joy. So holiness and joy go hand in hand when we look at those two things. I think the problem we have there, though, in looking uh, for thinking that joy is not really connected with holiness, is often we are looking for joy or happiness in things that are suspect morally, questionable morally. We probably deep down know some things are not right, but I'm getting so much fun and laughter out of it that I still want to pursue it. I mean, like if you took this away from my life, life would be so boring for me now. Sometimes we can think like that. Even though deep down we know what we're possibly getting this fun or this laughter from is morally not pure. I think what happens then when we get this idea that holiness kills our joy, or where we get that idea perhaps that holiness kills my joy, I'd say is 
holiness isn't killing our joy. What we're doing is looking for joy in the wrong places at that particular time. We may be trying to derive our joy and our happiness out of things that are questionable. So holiness doesn't kill the joy. It actually kills what is impure in our lives. So holiness, it is moral purity. It's right conduct. It's right living. It's beautiful. It's attractive. It's filled with joy at the same time. That's what holiness is. So how do we practice this holiness then as we think about that's what it looks like? In other words, how do we practice these actions and conduct that is pure and moral and upright in our lives? Let's think about where Corinth was, where Paul's writing this letter to 2,000 years ago and what it's all about. Corinth is a very godless city at that particular time. Uh, The one true God, the God that Paul is bringing to this city of Corinth, isn't held in high respect and in high regard and high esteem as the Lord of the universe. They don't see God like that at all. This city is very godless. Uh, It's a city that is filled with man-made gods at this particular time. They are worshipping all manner of their own imaginations in this city. Corinth also is a very immoral city. Not a moral city, but an immoral city. It's a place, it's a city that is rife. It is filled with pornography, sexual cultic practices and all forms of cheap prostitution. Their worship at the temples down there was sex acts. That's how they worshipped their particular gods, was to carry out these acts of sex. In fact, there's a phrase that we used to use in our language many years ago, and it's this. Oh, that person, he's playing the Corinthian. Now, when we use that term, we're actually saying that person's got very loose morals. That gives us a picture here of what Corinth was like. It was known to be a very immoral place. And this is where Paul's writing this letter into this church to help strengthen them and grow them as disciples of Christ. Paul's calling them here to holiness. He's saying you need to separate yourselves away from the immoral practices of Corinth. You need to step back away from their influence upon you will drag you down into their immoral lifestyle. The Holy Spirit, through the gospel that Paul's given to them, is calling you to a life now of holy living, not unholy living. Look what Paul says there in verse 14 of chapter 6. He says at the start there, Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. He's actually calling something here, a separation. And then down again in 2 Corinthians 7.1, he says there, uh, through that, Let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. This is the call. It's the call of holiness. And then if you follow through after um, verse 1, uh, sorry, after verse 14, which we haven't got it there, Elliot, verses 14 to 16, you'll see there's five statements that Paul calls out there. And what those statements are, they're asking a question of two opposing positions. Two opposing positions. And one of the questions is, what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? What par- so what connection has right living got to do with lawless living? And the obvious answer is nothing. There's no connection between right living and lawless living. There can be no partnership between right living and lawless living. These two um, uh, positions sit at opposite ends of the scale. One is living right, one is living wrong. Paul's putting out this. He said, what partnership has there to be between righteousness and lawlessness? Paul's point here is this as he's putting out these five questions or these five statements. He says here, we in Christ... 
should have a totally different outlook on life compared to those who are outside of Christ. Corinthians, the Gospels come and save you. You should have a totally different outlook on life in comparison to those who are outside of Christ. When the choices and the conduct of those outside of Christ in life is morally wrong or questionable, pull back. Pull back. Don't go there. And then Paul goes on to quote this in verse 17, which is a picture of some Old Testament scriptures here where God is talking about this, the same thing with Israelites. He says this in verse 17, uh, God speaking, Therefore go out from their midst and be separate from them, says the Lord, and touch no unclean thing, and then I will welcome you. The picture is this here is God's talking to the Israelites. God has called Israel to himself to be a people who live for his glory, to live for this holy God. And to no longer live as the, to live as the godless lives of the people that surround about the Israelites at that particular time. Separate yourself from them. Their immoral lives, as it were, will pollute yours. They'll influence yours. They'll defile your lives. The immoral lives that they are living, if you let them come into you, it'll destroy you from the inside. God says, separate away from those uh, unclean things. And Paul uses that word, they're defiled in chapter 7, uh, chapter 7 verse 1. And it's like a pollution. That's what this um, influence is. This influence of unholy living gets into our lives and it pollutes us. And Paul says, uh, uh, cleanse yourself from this defiled way of living. Don't let yourself have this immoral influence come upon you. Paul's bringing the gospel to them again and reminding the gospel where the Holy Spirit is remaking us into the image of Jesus Christ. Cleansing us, working with us. We're being made into a new creation. We saw that a couple of weeks ago. Old things have passed away. Actually, we saw that last week. Behold, we are new creations. So there's a sifting out process taking here in the polluted materials of our lives. We're actually separating ourselves away from that. And notice there in 7 uh, 1, oh, it's got up there for us. Uh, that we are responsible to cleanse ourselves from the corruption that are around about us. What's it say there? Let us cleanse ourselves. Let us. Let us cleanse ourselves. What's that mean? Well, it doesn't mean this. We don't sit there passively and sort of press virus scan on the computer and just let the thing do itself and just get rid of all the viruses. We're not passive about this. We work with the Holy Spirit. It helps us to identify what is the corrupt moral influence in our lives, these things that are actually causing problems with us. The Holy Spirit helps us to see what that is and that same Spirit gives us the strength for us to then dig it out, as it were, these corrupting influences. Let us cleanse ourselves from these uh, influences in our lives. And it may, it may look something like this. Maybe you've got a buddy at work and who of late has gotten into some pretty crazy stuff at work. And all he wants to do now is keep cheating on the boss. It's all he wants to do. It's all he's thinking about. He's stealing materials from the workplace and he's stealing time from the boss as well. And you find, because you're spending so much time with this person, that they're influencing you. Now, what they're doing is actually beginning to get into your way of thinking. You're finding you're starting to think the same way. You've got the same thoughts. And you're feeling like you want to do that. But at the same time, all those thoughts and influences happening there, your conscience is kicking in. This God-given sort of independent third umpire sitting in your mind is telling you, uh-uh, that's not good. That's not right. Don't do that. 
But then you have that fight in your mind at the same time. Paul's saying here, don't let that influence come in. And the conscience is a great thing that God's given to us. It really is. Uh, We can sear our conscience and we can actually scream it down, as it were, and block it out. But it's 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 a wonderful gift that God's given to us. We know when we're doing something wrong. Something within us just like holds up the red flag. Whoa, 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 whoa. This is not right. This is not right. That's God's Spirit working our hearts, helping us to to be cleansed from these evil things that are trying to influence our lives. Paul says, separate from that influence. Pull back and don't go down this slippery path of godless living. It's perhaps a, a negative aspect here that Paul goes down as he talks about this practice here of holiness. It's this separation from. It's this pulling back from what is evil and what is trying to influence our lives in a morally corrupt way. What's important though, as we think about the separation from and this, this perhaps this negative aspect here is, is the motivation for holiness. What's going to drive us to do this? What's going to motivate us to actually uh, take on board here this, this action of separating ourselves away from these evil influences in our lives and these corrupt influences in our lives? The motivation here is all important. I'm going to get rid of that fly in a minute too, actually. All important because sometimes we get this we get this wrong. We get the motivation wrong and we launch into holiness from a faulty foundation. It's from a false foundation. Sometimes we can launch into holiness living like we're going to really go hard at this, thinking as though we're trying to earn something or earn God's favour in this way. Or maybe even we're going to set God up to give me a big win for what I'm praying for, as in that could be the foundation of why I'm pursuing holy living. I'm trying to actually build some credits up into my life. So if I'm praying for something, God's now got to give something to me because I've been such a hard-working person at living holy uh, activities. Like if I work hard at holiness, God, surely you'll give me what I'm praying for. And it's a mentality here that we're like earning something or building credits up in the bank. Wrong motivation. Wrong motivation. That won't work. That motivation leads us into a works mentality that I'm earning something. And the whole foundation, there is an earning sort of foundation of pursuing holy living. I've done this for you, God. Now you please do this for me. Firstly, that's not how God deals with us. That's not how God deals with us through the gospel. Secondly, There's no personal living and loving relationship with God through all that. Not at all when it's sort of this earning or works-based mentality. If we're trying to do this earn process, it's like God becomes the boss. If I do enough good things, then he gives me what I want. If I do bad things, well, then I'll push down the ladder again. That's how the relationship is. And that's never going to work for a foundation to be looking for um, the strength and the power to pursue holy living. Now, the world we live in also has no answers here as well when we're trying to um, help people to live a right life or a morally pure life. We want people to live good and upright lives and the best we can actually offer them, which I'm not saying don't do this, still do it, is like more education. If we could just educate them in a better way to do the right thing or if we give them better rewards for doing the right thing. Doug was going to give some rewards before if they do the right thing out there and give them a lolly. It's amazing how we think that way. And the world also says, if you do the wrong thing, we're going to put you in prison. So it uses education, rewards and penalties to try and get this right living. 
thinking about this, I saw this fascinating video the other day, and it was about these Kenyan soldiers a few years ago who were sent into a shopping centre to rescue these victims here held uh, siege by these terrorists. And uh, here's these soldiers trained to do the right thing. They are trained to uphold the law of the land and to do the right thing and actually be, you know, the people you can trust in. These Kenyan soldiers are going through this deserted shopping centre to rescue these um, uh, victims and those guys are walking through and they're grabbing mobile phones off these desert and just shoving them in their pockets, stealing phones as they go through this deserted shopping centre. And I'm thinking, that's the right people trying to do the right thing, but they're actually doing the wrong thing as they do this. So you can't get the right drive or the, motiv- or the right motivation from this world purely by education or, or rewards or penalties. There's got to be something else here. Those Kenyan soldiers should have been the, the very ones upholding the law, but the very ones breaking the law and stealing those phones. Where are you today with your motivation? Maybe, maybe you've tried and tried and tried to do the right thing. And maybe you've even thought, if I could just please God that way, that maybe God might, you know, be on my side. But it's not working, is it? It doesn't work. That motivation won't carry you through. And maybe you're here for the first time at Exchange and you're thinking a bit like that. Thinking maybe that's the way to approach God. If I can do enough good things, God sort of comes on my side. If you are here for the first time, we are glad you're here. We welcome all new people to be seen and we love them to come so we can tell them about Jesus Christ, the motivation for right living. And that's what the true motivation for holy living is. It actually starts with the gospel. It starts with the good news of Jesus Christ. It starts with what God has done for us before we have even done anything at all for him. It starts with Christ. Paul's delivered the gospel to the Corinthians here and we can go back to 1 Corinthians 6 and see what Paul has told these Corinthians way back then in a previous letter that he wrote to this church. In verses 9 and 10 he says this. He's talking about the Corinthians, where they were. Or do you not know, Paul talking to the Corinthians, that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, very apt for the Corinthians where they are, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Paul's telling the Corinthians, that's where you were. That's who you were. That's where your life was. Something happened though. God came along. You weren't looking for him, but he came along. And the very next verse, we see that in verse 11. And such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. What did the Corinthians Corinthians discover? They discovered who Jesus was. They discovered who Jesus is and what he's done. As Paul proclaimed the gospel, the Holy Spirit revealed who Jesus is. They discovered that while they were living in immoral lives... In all of the activities that we're getting up to in Corinth at that particular time, and Paul's listed some of them there in previous verses 9 and 10, they've discovered while they were doing that, Jesus died for me. For this is Christ's love, that while I was yet a sinner, he came and died for me. While I was yet an enemy of Christ, Jesus comes and dies for me. The Corinthians are seeing this. And when they saw that and they got that understanding, everything changed. Everything changed. Not something changed. 
everything changed for these guys. They not only knew the love of God as in a mental ascent or mental sort of idea, they actually felt the love of Christ, these people as well, in a true conversion experience. It changed them from the inside out. God wasn't something outside of them anymore, thinking, well, you know, God's some sort of idol over here in their sort of Corinthian thinking at the time. No, 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 no. God was now living inside of them. They were born again. The gospel had come home to see what Christ had done. It's not God without, but it's God within. And Paul goes here to tell them about this in verse 16 in the middle there. Corinthians 6.16 For we are the temple of the living God. We're the temple. God lives in the temple, lives in us. As God said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them and I will be their God and they shall be my people. This is what the Corinthian people got. God's now living inside of me. God's rescued me. The God of holiness now dwells within me, dwells within us. We are the temple of the living God, he says. And further down in chapter 7, verse 1, he says this. Since we have these promises, beloved, he's talking about the past here. Since we have these promises, not something they've earned or gained, but something they've been given. Since we have these promises, Paul is saying this. Look at what God has done for us. Look at the foundation he has laid for us in Christ. From that secure foundation of salvation, now let us go on to holy lives. From that foundation of what Jesus has done. As I was praying this morning, um, early this morning, this thought just came to my mind as I was thinking about this. I don't have to prove anything to God at all. I don't have to prove anything to God at all. God accepts me as I am. He doesn't leave me as I am. He changes me and transforms me. I don't have to prove anything to God at all. I don't have to come to God and make sure I can jump the 10-foot bar and then he'll bring me in. I don't have to prove that. God has accepted me in Christ just as I am. As I thought about that, what a foundation. What a foundation to build my life. I don't have to prove anything. I don't have to be anything. I just have to come as I am. He doesn't leave me as I am. He changes me, but I just come as I am. I don't have to prove anything. God in the gospel is the motivation for holy living. It is his grace that initiates this. And it's his grace that keeps us moving in this holy living. When the God of holiness, beautiful holiness, lives inside of us, you can't help but want to live a life of holiness. The seed of God's holiness is now within. It it wants to germinate and then grow out through our lives. The Holy Spirit brings holy living. There is no stronger motivation for that at all anywhere in this world because that, that motivation changes us at the heart level, right on the inside of who we are. As we think about this passage today, how do we apply this holiness to our lives, particularly with Paul's thinking and talking right here? Because sometimes there's confusion with this passage. There is. Does this passage mean that I must separate from all unbelievers in all things? 
like we must go set up a commune somewhere in the middle of nowhere and have no unbelievers amongst us and we're totally separate? Is that what it means? No. No, the Bible isn't saying that here. Because we are called to be the salt of the earth. We are called to be amongst the unbelieving world so they can hear and see the gospel in our lives. We're called to be part of this world, not separated from this world in that sense. What it's saying here is this. Don't be partnered up with or connected with unbelievers in such a way where you know there's a high potential that your gospel convictions will be compromised. Don't be partnered up with, don't be connected with unbelievers in such a way that you know there's high potential that your gospel convictions will be compromised. It's a couple of classic examples of this, uh, perhaps where relationships are between Christians and unbelievers. Unfortunately, sometimes it can be ladies who become obsessed to marry. I'm not trying to pick on the ladies here, but it does happen to fall more onto ladies than men. Sometimes it can happen here with ladies who become obsessed that they need to marry. They're like, marrying is the ultimate in life. They've got to get married at all costs. And what happens is sometimes they feel like, if I not get married, I'm going to get left on the shelf. And I don't want to be left on the shelf. And they'll go and marry an unbeliever, thinking that marriage has got to be the ultimate in life. This will just open up a world of compromise and trouble down the track. A world of it. Uh, You'll have all sorts of issues to work through. Uh, You'll come at it from two totally different worldviews between a Christian and an unbeliever. Trying to sort of make this relationship work and happen. I know a number of ladies who have done this. And they've gone down the path and they've married an unbeliever. And it has done nothing short of bring a world of trouble. A world of compromise. A world of challenge. Heartache and pain. And it ends, up, it ends up being a very, very painful journey. Paul would say there, don't do it. Don't be unequally yoked. It's just not going to work. You're just coming out from two different angles all the time and it just doesn't fit. You'll have all sorts of compromise and all sorts of pain out of that. Another one could be this, and it can happen sometimes in business partnerships between believers and unbelievers. They could be the best of friends, the best of friends. And then they want to go into a business partnership together. They want to get sort of connected in that way. Again, again, that is massive potential for compromise on your gospel convictions when you do that. It really is. Because your unbelieving business partner wants to write up to the to your accountant and say, hey, can we, can we pursue some false business claims for our tax purposes? And the accountant's thinking, oh, I reckon we can engineer a few ways to do this few false claims here and there and your business partner after a while says hang on can we cheat on the wages to make it a bit more profitable can we just take a few entitlements off our employees because you're thinking from two different levels two different actual uh, starting points now this may not happen at the start of your partnership or your business relationship because it's all rosy it's all new we're actually all agreeing here it's all good but it's amazing what happens down the track when the pressure comes on in the business sense all of a sudden then the question is, oh, can we, can we do this? And you're saying, oh, that's illegal. Yeah, but no one will ever know about it. Uh, what am I going to do here? And don't think that'll be an easy decision to deal with. Oh, yeah, I'll, just, I'll just stand my ground. Because what you're doing is you're actually working with that guy and his whole livelihood is wrapped up in this business. And you're thinking, if I make this really right moral decision, 
our business could go in a real decline and he might have to sell his house. That may not bother you as much, but it's going to perhaps destroy his worldview. So that'll be a really hard thing to think about. Paul would say, don't do that. Don't be unequally yoked. Don't put yourself in such a position of compromise that this pressure comes on. It will have an influence upon you if you go down that path. Don't do that. Any partnership, any relationship or any arrangement that we enter into must be carefully considered with these questions first before we even go any further with it. Will this relationship, will this partnership, will it put me into a position of compromise for my faith in Christ and the pursuit of holiness? Has it got the potential to put me into a place of compromise for my faith in Christ and the pursuit of holiness? If the answer is yes, then don't do it. Don't be unequally yoked with unbelievers. Having said that, there's some great gospel blessings here that flow out of a life of pursuing holiness. A result of holy living uh, before God results in a growing personal relationship uh, with the God who saved us. Look in there in verse 18 with us. It says there in chapter 6, verse 18, And I will be a father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. It's a great picture here that God's giving us. It's a picture of a family, isn't it? It's a father with sons and daughters. It actually picks up here the idea that God personally adopts us into his family. And this is what Jesus has done for us and achieves for us through the cross. We are reconciled to God and he brings us into his loving family. It's adoption. Here's what happens then with this holy living as we hold this picture in our mind here of this um, family aspect. As we work with the Spirit to cleanse and purify ourselves from all the corrupting and evil influences in our lives, as we do that, we actually feel a, a closer bond of love with God in a purified way. We feel a deeper sense of closeness to God as we live in holy living. As we fill our hearts with the truth, the truth of um, Jesus Christ, and through the Spirit's power we put to death these evil uh, desires and separate ourselves from corrupting pressure in this world, we actually feel a more intimate relationship with God. It's as though the blockages are being removed as we pursue holy living. This sinfulness, actually, as we cut our way through that and separate ourselves away from it, we feel like the blockages are being removed and we've got a clearer, more personal relationship with God himself. Think about this. What happens, what happens when you do things that are wrong towards your husband or your wife or your parents or a friend? In some way you hurt them and you let them down. What happens? What's the result? What does that do to your relationship with them? Does it improve it, make it sweeter when you do things to hurt each other? It doesn't do that, does it? What it does, it it sort of, when you hurt them, it it creates pain or shame and it creates distance and it creates blockages when we do these wrong things and we hurt each other. It's no different with God. When we live in a... uh, sinful way or an unholy way, it's like we begin to build these fences between us and God. As we indulge in unholy living, we start erecting these fences. And the more we go down the path of unholy living, the bigger these fences we build and the more of these fences we create. And they become obstacles between us and God as we pursue unholy living. But the moment we turn to holiness, it's like we're pulling these fences down. We're getting these influences out of our lives. 
and we're drawing closer to God. Now, God hasn't moved. He's always there, but it's like it's us who's stepping back away. And we build these fences and we build these blockages here. Look with me here as Dave read for us early from the Beatitudes, what it says in Matthew chapter 5. Beautiful. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Isn't that just beautiful? Isn't that glorious? Blessed are those who are pure in heart. Blessed are those who are pursuing, pursuing holiness of heart. Why? Why are they blessed? For they shall see God. As we pursue holy living, our clarity of God becomes clearer and clearer and clearer. Our intimacy with God grows because we're pursuing a right life. That's a blessing of God's grace. That is the happiest place to be in. I've been watching these ads pop up on Instagram lately. It's been, you know, find your happy place. Well, folks, that's where it is. That's the happy place of the world, living a life of purity before God. You cannot find a happier place than that. You find your happy place, that's where it is, living pure lives before God. This is the utmost of importance. This is the last point I'm just going to finish on now. Now, this, this is the utmost of importance for us as well, to live holy uh, lives and pursue holiness. We, are the, uh, we, the church, are the representation of God upon the earth. It's true. But the community of greatest shepherd and sees of us contributes to their view of God. It really does. What they see the church doing, they begin to form their imagination of who God must be like. And as I said today, earlier on, in this day and age, the world uh, sees something different potentially about the Western church. It doesn't see the Western church somewhat all that different to the rest of the world, really pursuing the same things and not actually doing a life differently, particularly, as I said there before, about the way we speak sometimes. We gossip and carry on bitterness just like they do. But what the world sees of the church contributes to what they think God is. True holy living empowered by God's Spirit must say something different. It must say something different about us. It must speak something different to our neighbours, our friends. They must be able to look in to the church and see something different about us. We live a different way. We live in a pure way, a morally upright way, a holy way. And if they see that, I'm, I'm confident if they see that, They'll ask us for the reason for the hope that lies within us. Why are you living that way? Why are you pursuing that type of living? Why do you follow every law of the land right to the letter? Because you can get away with a whole lot of other stuff and get your life ahead of Just don't follow some of those laws. No, but we are wanting to honour the laws of the land. Where they honour God. We want to live in a pure and a right way. This will be something that will be attractive. This will be something that will make the gospel look powerful. Because it changes the way we live. And it makes God look great. As we finish, are we embracing what Jesus has done for us at the cross and then pursuing holiness from that foundation? From the foundation of what Jesus has done and now for the glory of his name we pursue holy living. Are we willing to be different? Are we willing to be different in this way that we make the gospel look attractive and make God look great as we pursue holy living? If that's so, it will impact every aspect of our lives in a really, really powerful way. 
but a way that will be just truly beautiful and will truly put us in the happy place. Let's pray. Father, I uh, thank you now that we can uh, come around your word this morning. I thank you, Lord, uh, that you have called us to holiness. God, part of that is you are wanting us to separate from the influences of this world that are morally corrupt. Uh, Lord, I pray that we are really careful about that. Really careful about that. I pray you, Holy Spirit, would speak into our conscience uh, as we fill our minds with your word that would heighten our conscience to think carefully and to be alert for what is wrong and what is right and to cling to what is right and to separate from what is wrong. Lord, I know it's tricky when we're working with friendships and relationships. How do we navigate those paths? We're called to be in the world because we want to be salt, we want to be light. And I pray that we do that. I pray we are still vitally connected to this world. But I pray, Lord, we do that with the the clarity of not allowing ourselves to be under the influence of this world at the same time. God, I pray today that as we do that, that you would bless us, God, with such a close walk and relationship with you that it would fill our hearts with joy. That it would fill our hearts with the wonder and the beauty and the splendour of who you are as we pursue this holy living. Uh, Father, I do ask that and I do pray that now in Jesus' name. Amen. Just before we go to a song, I'm happy to take any questions if there are any questions on today's talk, uh, as in right now.